You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This morning we read from the Gospel according to John chapter 19, verses 1 to 37. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man! As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, the sixth hour. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. 
Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Text for this morning, for verses 28 to 30 of John 19. We have already read, but we will read them again. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, on this Good Friday, we've gathered together again to hear God's word and to commemorate the suffering and the death of our Savior. As you know, the Bible gives us four accounts of what happened to the Lord Jesus on that day. And even though there are four accounts... They're not contradictory, but rather complementary, which means they complement each other. They support one another. And together they give us a complete picture of what our Savior suffered. The scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so we can be confident that the Good Friday accounts, they all fit together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John work together to tell us everything we need to know about what happened to the Lord Jesus in his suffering and in his death some 2,000 years ago. This morning, we're giving our attention to the account given by the gospel according to John, or at least to part of that account. And this gospel has its own unique perspective and approach. The purpose of this gospel is clearly given in passages like John 20, 31. 
John says there that there are many other things that he could have written about with regards to the life and earthly ministry of Christ. And then he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You notice in our reading that John says something similar in verse 35. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Everything in John's gospel is written to that end, so that you may believe. And that includes what we have here in John 19, 28 to 30. Through John, the Holy Spirit wants to direct us to Christ, to believe in him. He wants us to understand that the Lord Jesus actively and willingly gave himself for us. And he did so in fulfillment of the scriptures. That's our theme for this morning, and we're going to consider two points. First of all, the manner of this giving, and then second, the meaning of this giving. Well, in verse 28, we read that Jesus knew that all was now completed. He knew, in other words, that his suffering was drawing to a close. He had been hanging on the cross for several hours. During all that time, both in the daytime and in the nighttime, you remember he had the three hours of darkness, as well as three hours of light on the cross. During all that time, the Lord Jesus suffered in body and soul. He was rejected, mocked, and despised by men. Worst of all, God poured out his wrath on him. And he endured God-forsakenness. Now, having never experienced such forsakenness ourselves, never having witnessed it, we can hardly begin to understand the depths of what he suffered there on Golgotha. Sometimes people interpret God forsaking Jesus on the cross as if it was a matter of God abandoning Jesus, a matter of God ignoring Jesus. But God forsaking him is not abandonment. Rather, it's that God was present, but no longer present to bless him. Psalm 139 tells us that God is even present in hell. God is present in hell, in his wrath. God is present in hell to attack and punish sinners eternally with his just judgment. God was present at Golgotha to attack Jesus, the one who hung on the cross in our place. The 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, Jesus became sin on the cross. He was counted as a sinner, and consequently he received the sinner's due. He descended into the darkness of hell and experienced God's fury. But now all of that is drawing to a close. The Lord Jesus had taken God's wrath against our sins on himself. And there was only one thing left for him to do on our behalf. Die. His lungs had to stop expanding and contracting. His heart had to stop beating. 
the neurons in his brain had to stop firing. He not only had to suffer for our sins, he also had to die for them. And the Lord Jesus knew. He knew that he had to die in a special way. He couldn't let himself die from a heart attack. Christ couldn't let himself die from cancer. He couldn't allow someone else to take his life from him. He had to give himself to death. He had to do this so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And here we can think especially of Isaiah 53, verse 12. In that passage, the suffering servant pours out his life unto death. He's the subject, the one who acts. That's a prophecy of Jesus Christ, and it says that he actively gave himself. Jesus understood that. He said in John 10, verse 18, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So Jesus understood what Isaiah 53, verse 12, was requiring of him. That it was necessary for him to actively give up his own life, rather than having his life taken away from him, or dying through some accidental means. And related to this were the prophetic words of Psalm 22, which we sang a moment ago, and Psalm 69, which we'll sing after the sermon. Psalm 22, of course, is what Jesus quotes from the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That same psalm speaks about thirsting. Thirsting in the midst of horrible suffering. Psalm 69 speaks of the suffering king's thirst being quenched by vinegar. Jesus knew that God's word had brought him to this place and that God's word must carry him further. That's why he called out and said that he was thirsty. Christ knew that the worst part of his suffering was finished. Now he only had to give his life, to pour out his life unto death. And to do that, the Lord Jesus needed strength. He needed something to drink to help him complete his cross work. And so Jesus said, I am thirsty. There was a jar of wine vinegar nearby. That would have been wine that had gone bad and turned into vinegar. It was always mixed with water. It would have been a cheap drink for the soldiers. may have been a bit sour, but still okay to quench your thirst. People standing around the cross soaked a sponge in this wine vinegar and then used a hyssop branch to bring it to the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Now it's worth noting that John specifically identifies the type of plant used here. He says that it was the stalk or the branch of a hyssop plant. Now why does he go out of his way to mention that? Why couldn't he just say, you know, he used a branch or a stick? Now here again, you have to think back to the Old Testament and the way in which Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. Remember the time in which Jesus suffered and died. Jesus suffered and died during the time of Passover. 
And the mention of hyssop here draws our thoughts to the Passover, and especially to the Passover lamb. Hyssop was some kind of plant. But honestly, we don't know exactly what kind of plant it was. Experts are not sure either. But it was some kind of plant that would have been dipped in the blood of the lamb and then used to spread the blood over the door frames of the houses, the Israelite houses. And so in a sense, you could say the hyssop was an instrument for salvation. With the blood of the lamb spread on the door frames, the angel would pass by and the firstborn son would be spared. And here John also speaks of hyssop in the framework of salvation. It's used so that the Lamb of God can take the last step of laying down His life, completing His sacrifice. The sponge was lifted to His mouth, and He drank it. And it had the desired effect. He received the last burst of energy He needed to finish His work on the cross. And then He said, It is finished. And by that, he simply meant that everything that Scripture required of him, everything that God required of him on Golgotha, everything that he had agreed to do on Golgotha, was completed. Now, there was more to come in his redemptive work. For instance, his resurrection and his ascension. But what was required of him on the cross had come to its end. Verse 30 tells us that he then bowed his head and died. Note that it describes his death in a special way. It doesn't come right out and say he died. Rather, Scripture says that he gave up his spirit. In the King James Version, this is translated, he gave up the ghost. Which, by the way, is the origin of that expression in English. He gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. And we never find that expression used of anyone else in the Bible. Only Jesus gives up his spirit when he dies. No, he didn't just die. He actively gave up his spirit. He was actively involved with the separation of his body and soul. That separation that takes place in the death of every human being. This was exactly the way that it had to be. Jesus was no hapless, accidental victim on the cross. He had covenanted with the Father and with the Holy Spirit to be our Savior. He willingly went to the cross and took our punishment. And as the climax of all that, he willingly gave up his life. His suffering and death was a sacrifice for sin. And he was the one who offered the sacrifice. And this moment when he gives up his spirit is the crowning moment, the last act of the sacrifice. Now let's reflect for a few moments on what that means. We'll consider two aspects. The first is that everything was finished here. Verse 28 says that all was now completed. In verse 30, the Lord Jesus called out and said, It is finished. 
And brothers and sisters, that means good news for us. We can know for certain that the Lord Jesus did not go halfway in his suffering. Our Savior didn't leave us with anything that we still have to do for ourselves. For instance, he didn't just bear God's wrath against sin and then say to us, well, you know, I took it this far. Now, you're going to have to take it further. You're still going to have to die for your sins or something like that. He did everything. We're simply called again to believe. Believe that He did this for us. It's all grace. There is nothing left for us to do to get right with God, to be justified, to be adopted as His children and heirs. Simply rest and trust in Christ And you will be saved from God's wrath against your sin. And you'll know God, not as your enemy, but as your Father. That's the good news of Good Friday. Loved ones, when we believe this good news, when we embrace it personally, what results is praise and love for God, for the triune God. Each person of the Trinity was involved and receives honor and glory. The Father sent His Son into this world to suffer and die for us. Amazing love. How can it be? The Son was willing to do so. And our text paints this picture of a willing Savior. Amazing grace. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us so that we believe the gospel, so that we rest and trust in Christ alone. We give all praise and glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for our redemption. We're impressed with God, taken with Him, and we want to make much of Him. We we love Him. We want to make much of Him with our words and with our works. The same happens as we consider that it was for our benefit. It was for our benefit that the Lord Jesus became thirsty. When he said, I am thirsty, then we know that he was and he is a human being, just as we are. Yes, the Lord Jesus was and is also God. Yes, he is a sinless human being. Nonetheless, he is human. And in his suffering and death, we really see his human nature at the forefront. For our salvation, we needed to have a human being to be there on that cross. God would never punish an animal. God would never punish some kind of disembodied spirit being for what man did. There needed to be a true human being with true human flesh and blood, a true human soul, hanging on that cross, forsaken by God. And when the Lord Jesus said, I am thirsty, then we know it's true. Then we know for sure that He was a true man. That's good news for us. It's good news because we know that As a true man, he paid for our sins. And it continues to be good news because we know that the Lord Jesus continues today to be both man and God. 
His human nature didn't evaporate when He ascended into heaven. And so when we go through hard times, the Lord Jesus, He sympathizes. When we have adversity, trials, and suffering in our lives, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus empathizes. You can be sure of that. Listen to what Scripture says about Jesus in Hebrews 2, 17-18. For this reason, He had to be made like His brothers in every way, in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that He might propitiate for the sins of the people. Because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus became man so that He could propitiate for us in the first place. Propitiate. That means turn God's wrath away from us. And so take away our sins. So take away our offense. Then Jesus also became man so that God's fatherly heart of love would be turned towards us. Jesus became man so that He can be a merciful and faithful high priest, a sympathetic high priest, so that He can help us when we suffer. So brothers and sisters, I urge you, when you have trials and difficulties, turn to the Lord Jesus. Pray to Him. You can do that. You can pray to Jesus directly. People do that in the Bible. You can do it too. You can pray to Jesus because in Him, you have someone who understands. As the old hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. In Him, we have someone who truly understands what we're experiencing. Why? Because in His life, He suffered. And at the cross was the the culmination of all that suffering. He suffered on the cross. He had trials. He had adversity. He became thirsty. And because we have Jesus as our Savior, a merciful, sympathetic high priest, we can also give praise and glory to God. We can know for a fact that God's fatherly heart of love is turned towards us because He loves His Son. And in Christ, He loves us. We also are His children and His heirs. Beloved, Good Friday is good because there is good news. The Lord Jesus took that last drink so that He could finish His work. He took that last drink so that believing in Him, we would never be thirsty or go hungry. Jesus actively and willingly gave Himself for you. And He did this because He loves you. He did this because He knew that by doing it, God would receive all the glory then, now, and for eternity. Let's now pray together. O God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all praise, glory, and honor be to you for the redemption accomplished on Good Friday 
some 2,000 years ago. We praise you, Father, for sending your Son into this world to be the propitiation for our sins, for turning away your wrath. We thank you that through his sacrifice we know you as our Father and that we are assured of your unending love for us. We give glory to you, Lord Jesus, for hanging on the cross in our place. We thank you that you suffered thirst so that we might never be thirsty and go hungry. We thank you for fulfilling the scriptures, for willingly giving up your life for us so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Thank you for the perfect sacrifice you offered through which we are reconciled to God. We honor you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring the word of God which testifies of the gospel. We thank you for your work in our hearts so that we believe this gospel. Help us to embrace it evermore. Please give us more grace so that our hearts, minds, and wills are inclined to heavenward in love and praise. Please help in a, us and work in us a desire to glorify our Creator, Redeemer, and Renewer. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our redemption is entirely Your work, and to You goes all adoration and glory, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.